Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Oteil Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, Join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more.
Hey everyone, Happy New Year. Thanks for tuning in. We're going to split the episode up into two parts. So this is episode 49, part one. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Helping Friendly Podcast. This is episode 49. Um, we're recapping Miami 2014-15 New Year's Eve run. I'm here with Brad, as usual. Hi, Brad. Hi, OJ. And our guests are Allie, who's at Pecked by the Dove. Hi, Allie. Hey, Hi, guys. Um, Greg, who's at Furry Thug. It's an actual reference. Nobody gets it. Yeah, no. You're also wrong with people. I would have never. I would have never thought that. Trust Um, me, we get it. We're smart around these parts, Greg. (laughs) That's Kevin, (laughs) who's at. You don't have to educate us. I don't get it. That was was for everyone else out there. Thanks, Kevin. (laughs) Hey Um, guys. And Patrick, who's at Patrick Brandon. Hey Patrick, thanks for joining us. Hey guys. Great to be here. Thanks. It's really awesome. All four of you could join us. Let's start, uh, Kevin. You're, you're the you get um, you get the honors to go first with the question here, <laughs> since you've been on before. So um, right. let's start. Let's. I mean, you're there all four nights, right? And um, started with the New Year's Eve night, which is kind of a you know kind of a unique way to do it um, to start with the New Year's Eve. But some people were saying maybe it gets the pressure off. Um, you know, just give us give us your overall narrative from the four nights um that while you were down there in Miami I tell you what I think number one I'll say my piece I think that they need to go back to Miami from here on out uh totally less cumbersome the weather I mean I go on and on and on I loved it uh I thought it was great but you know I thought the whole run from start to finish was uh was pretty damn good um Mm. Yeah, I thought 1-3 I thought was the best night. Maybe one of the best shows of 2014 possibly. Um, I thought it was that good. Um, And then I had 12-31 number two. Uh, You know, and I think pretty much that's simply because of the second set, Ghost Mm -hmm. Theme Cities. I mean, Ghost Theme Cities – um, I mean, that's one for the ages, I thought. And then yeah, you throw in the, definitely throw, a lot of highlights. Yeah, and throw in the tweezer, um, right. you know, in that third set. Even though the third set was lackluster, I still, you know, put 12-31 as, as number two. And then I, I put 1-2 as three, and then 1-1 one, one as four. Yeah. And a lot of people are bitching about 1-1, one, one, but honestly, I, you know, I think it's fish 101 at an A-plus level. You know, there was nothing special about it, but, uh, yeah, I think they were all talking with one another up there. I thought the communication was great. thought it was a good show. But, uh, but no, I think the crowd, I think the energy, the whole four nights, I think was fantastic. I think uh, another surprising thing, you know, everybody said, oh, there's going to be so many tickets, you know, and, the, you know, the ticket tree thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I tell you what, it, uh, it was packed all four nights. Um, you know, and I didn't see a whole lot of, uh, you know, yeah, it wasn't hard to get a ticket if you wanted it, but, uh, you know, I didn't think that the supply demand thing was quite what people anticipated. They weren't falling from the sky or whatever. No, absolutely. Absolutely not. But so Ellie, uh, Ellie, you're up. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, Kevin, but let's, let's get Ellie's, let's get Ellie's take on it. Um, you're up next. How was it? How was your, uh, what's your overall takeaway from Miami Alley? Well, I kind of want to echo Kevin on a lot of it. I agree with a lot of what he said. Uh, Second 
uh, second set New Year's Eve. I mean, blew me out of blew me out of the water. But nice. I will say, from that first set, just being a little dorky, I've chased Train Song for like that was like <laughs> my sixtieth show. I've chased it; it's my favorite. And I found nice. myself up in section three twenty five, like sobbing, <laughs> totally sobbing. I will admit it; I was totally. Nice. So I had went in with, like, really no expectations. Like, I right. needed to get to Miami. was pumped to be there, pumped to be with my friends, pumped to be with the crew. But I went in with no expectations. And to have the song that I had been looking for for so long pop up in set one, like, was just awesome. But, I mean, That's for a pretty, me, pretty unique song to be chasing. I, yeah, it is. I love, I love Billy Breeze. Like, I just yeah. love that whole album, but that's besides the point. Um, but it, it was just awesome for me. But um, I really, I loved a set two of, of New Year's Eve. I mean, I think that's just obvious to say. I loved the, I loved one, two. I loved watching the confidence of Mike, like, going over and picking up the dock during Week of Pog. Like, that was just so killer. That he felt so uh, strongly about it, and was just like, "Fucking, I'm. Am I allowed to say that? Can I curse? Yeah, um, of course. Okay, but that he just went over and was just so confident. Like, really shows how the band looks at each other and respects each other now, and have, how after 30 years they're so in tune with each other. Um, of you know, one three, one three was. Awesome, awesome. But 1-1 one, one was the sleeper for me. I think that they played very strongly. They, For the show that it was, it wasn't my show, but they really gave it all they had and, like, really put it all out there. And, yeah, it was a little shorter, and it was, like, I had explained it before that, like, New Year's Eve was, like, that really good sex that you have that's, like, awesome and overwhelming. And then the next night you try and recreate it, but it's not quite it's not there. Happening. Yeah. But it's still good. But I think that overall, they just like, they are masters of what they do. And there were definitely points when I would just sit down and watch all of them because they are masters and they're at the top of their game and they're back in love with each other and they're back in that intimate relationship. And I think Halloween, like the Halloween set totally kicked out into overdrive because they were able to look at each other and feel each other and see each other. And I think it just overflowed into the whole run. And I loved Miami. I totally agree that they should go back every year and hang out there. And it's like, it was just the best. I could so get used to going to the beach in the morning and seeing fish at night. Like yeah, that yeah. was a plus, but so I that's think a, that, that's a good, um, that's an awesome segue. Cause I want to ask Patrick about just like, obviously the over your overall takeaway but you know tell us a little bit about the venue and the surroundings and and how you felt about you know some people talk down about you know the location of that venue but you know what what do you take away from it well i just like to echo sunburn from Miami. look at it <laughs> that's not sunburn believe me I'm just i'm irish um no i mean i totally want to I, I totally agree with kevin and ali i mean i thought miami is an absolute ideal location uh for the new year's run i mean taken as a whole uh you know it definitely did not disappoint me uh, there's lots of different ingredients that you know kind of make up your overall experience of a fish run and i think musically at least for me uh, you know, it didn't quite reach the heights that uh, MSG did. I mean, for me last year, I mean, every 
show at MSG uh, last year just just totally knocked my socks off. But you know, when you look at Miami again, we're talking about two great sets tonight. You know, and there's a couple other highlights. I agree with Ali that one one for me, I would rank it a little bit higher than Kevin. Um, you know, I particularly enjoy. I mean, the energy and that crew and the people. I was on the floor all four nights. Absolutely blew me away. And then the Piper and one one, I've listened to like hundreds of times since. I think it's absolutely amazing. Uh, the venue I thought was awesome. Um, had a little bit of a, an issue getting in the first night. There was some confusion about you know the lines and the entry and all that sort of stuff. But uh, but generally, I thought the sound was good. I liked that little location in downtown Miami. I thought it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. It was great. You know, the after show, the glow, you know, going out and meeting all the people. Uh, you know, there was a great bar about a block away that, you know, was kind of a rallying point for a lot of my friends. And uh, nice. I had a great place to stay too. So in that regard, yep, thumbs up on Miami. No complaints about the venue whatsoever. Uh, and really eager to uh, get into the conversation about the music. And the security was nothing. Nothing. Oh, really? No. no nothing yeah, getting in. I mean, it was nothing. Trying to jump ladies? from section, like, top from oh. 300 to, you know, 100 was sometimes iffy. Uh, okay. But, I mean, it's for, you could do anything in that venue, and getting in the venue, I mean, if there was a pat-down, if that's what they call a pat-down, I'm down. <laughs> yeah, you know what, awesome. for the girls, though, going through security for the girls for the first Two nights I was fine. By the third night, it was like stashing things everywhere. I got like they touched my boobs. They like got <laughs> up in my shit. Good lord, so, ladies. So, but that was only the the second and the third. But the you know New Year's Eve and the first was pretty good. Like with security, but I agree. Like we were up in four sixteen, and it was killer up there. The sound nice. was perfect. Absolutely. Something must have happened, right, to make them up to security or whatever. Yeah, that, it got that's the other, harder every night. Allie brings up a good point about the sound. You know, there's been a lot of bitching about the sound. Mm -hmm. Now, I was all over that venue all four nights. Now, I was not behind the stage at all, um, you know, in any of those sections behind the stage. But I had no issue with the sound. I thought it sounded great. On the floor, section 100, I was page side, mic side. Um, I was even up in 300 for a little bit, and uh, I thought it sounded great. Agreed, nice. and I, I think just that up in, the, like, up in 415, 416, 417, like, it must be the, the way that the venue actually curved, because like there was just a sweet spot where everything was loud and sounded absolutely perfect. That's great. That's great. So, Greg, I know you're champing at the bit over there. We'll say actually, the, I'm, I'm, actually I'm, I'm doing a little sketch of Kevin over here. Can you guys see that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome. I was biding my time not to interrupt. That's good. Nice. Nice. <laughs> nice, that's good. He's so, a good man. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Last but not least, Craig, tell us what's up. Um, you know, your takeaway, how you felt about Miami and the venue and the shows. I thought the venue was great. The last three nights, I paid the security guard to let me on the floor. A total of forty-five dollars for me and my wife for three nights and a couple of friends. It was a great investment. Awesome. Yeah, it's cheap. It's cheap. Infinite access to the floor, up and down. It was great. I got to go wherever I wanted. It was a joke. Um, I, as, far, <laughs> as far as the music as a whole, I think they were very efficient and conservative in their song choices. And that's what made them sound tight, if you will. One cover each night. No first set segues for four nights. 
just kind of Trey up there talking on stage. I think he took a good five minutes before they played 555. I can only wonder what the hell they were talking about to come up with that. I think the biggest bust out of the four-night run with Train Song, all the covers being very conventional covers that are in heavy rotation, they really didn't step out of their element at all, even for the New Year's gag. You know, if yeah. those four guys can't play that collection of songs together, well, after 30 years, then they need to practice a little bit more. Yeah. Which that's, and the that's reason good. they did that's that good. may or may not have been because they did not practice so much. <laughs> I like that um, the biggest bust out was also the one that Ali was chasing. That's pretty exciting. <laughs> but um, so what, yeah, so let's talk a little bit, I guess, about uh, the song selection and the, and the kind of lack of uniqueness in, in the in the set lists. Kind of what we saw in 2014, also in 13. Right? Um, it wasn't anything too crazy, right? What do you think, Patrick? Well, well, by, by the time the fourth show came around, you know, there, we were all talking to each other about how many songs we have yet to hear. You know, there right. just seemed like there were so many songs that we expected that we, we haven't heard those yet. I mean, how are they going to possibly, are they just going to cram both sets full of like these monster songs? That really didn't end up happening. I mean, I missed my Yam, I missed Karini. I mean, I was really counting on those. Um, no Fluffhead. No, and first Fluffhead, two. of course, yeah. and no first tube. Exactly. I think I, um, I think it was actually. First yeah, so did I. I'll never disappoint. I, I got a little bit placated by the 2001. You know, I, I raged hard to that, but really, mm. you know, missed out on the first tube. So, you know, they played nine sets of music, and there's just all these big, you know, songs that I think belong in a big run like Miami and so but hey I'm not complaining you know it was fish I loved it I had a great time and that's my whole thing you know I don't think it's so much about the songs and the song you know what they played what they didn't play for me when I go to when I walk in to a show I mean it's about the music I mean give me the damn music and uh wow yeah and I think four nights I think they played it pretty damn well yeah, they I mean, did. You know, Trey, I mean, we got some Trey guitar shredding. I mean, some hints of 94. I mean, you yeah. know, I, 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 and really, uh, one of my first thoughts, the first night, New Year's, when we eased into that first set, I really thought that the, the four of them, they, they were very comfortable and right. very felt at ease and at home. And, uh, yeah, you know, whenever you see that, that's that's a pretty good thing. I yeah. thought that um, I thought Trey really brought the juice this run. I mean, he's been under fire a lot this year, and you know, and I just I love Bliss Trey, I love Machine Gun Trey. He felt very comfortable to your point, Kevin, and uh, you know, we had some great great peaks. Um, but more than that, though, I think every member of the band took their turn in the spotlight. I mean, every single one of them. You know, you take a look. By far, I think. The highlight for me was Mike taking center stage during that week of pa. You know, I just was so blown away by that, and I uh, thought it was so, so cool. Of course, Paige delivered us a great coil solo in the spotlight, and, you know, I think that that's what really attracts us and keeps us hooked here. But uh, And then, you know, we're never not going to see a show again where Trey doesn't hit a wrong note. doesn't bother me. doesn't bother me in the least. Now, I tell you, I think that week of pa was one of the best rotation jams 3.0. And we can talk about that now since we're not talking about it later. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I clearly thought, you know, when Paige picked up Mike's bass line and uh, Trey, you know, Mike picked up Trey's guitar and he Trey was over on the marimba loom, 
Man, that was that set. Oh man, that Mike's Jam was one for the ages. I thought. Yeah, that was. I mean, seventeen minutes was. It's pretty awesome. Extended. You know, um, the mics went into forty six days, first time ever, and then um, the week bought a follow was seventeen minutes of pretty awesome. You know, jam. Even though I think Trey's. You know, Trey. You really couldn't hear Trey on the on the glow in the dark Lumina xylophone. That. Yeah, the Lumina marimba. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's not what it's called. No, Mar- yeah, marimba lumina. Yeah, marimba lumina. That's what no, I said. No, but it was but at first you really couldn't hear what Trey was doing on it, and uh, at first it was almost confusing. But then, like mm-hmm. I said, watching Mike just like so confidently like walk over and just <laughs> kill it. He he killed it, and he just did it with such like panache and such like here yeah. I am. Who cares see, if Trey hates me after this? Did you see somebody asked him the other day on Twitter, said, Hey, Mike, so are you going to start playing the guitar more? And he said, No, I'm going to take up the zinther. Did you see that? No. Okay. We'll, we no. G- Google zinther. That's sounds, an interesting instrument. Sounds very Mike. <laughs> yes, exactly. totally Mike. My, my takeaway from the whole weekend is like, you go to fish shows and you see many of them and and besides what they play or what they don't play like some nights you walk away feeling like man that is that is a keeper and some nights you walk away saying like that was an amazing fish show which are different you know and i feel like after the third the last night out of the three that i saw that was the night when i was sweated through my clothes i was happy i was satisfied i was like this is amazing and the other nights were great too but it's interesting how every run whether it's two or three or four shows or maybe one show that just that just it just it 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 affects everyone in the exact same way you know like some of the other shows touch other people but like this show everyone walked out satisfied you know and i think that's what's really cool about it even if it might only happen once every four shows or or twice every four shows i think that that was my main takeaway and reinforcing the fact that that's where that's where we are that's where they are and that's that's fine and and it's always great fucking concerts but maybe one of them will leave you just thinking about the whole existence of everything you know I don't think there's any question they are in a very good place right now. Oh, 1-3 was definitely the standout show of the run for, I would say, just about every person there. That second set was just... Kind of made you forget about a couple of the mediocre sets or a few song streaks there and the shows before. Not in an abusive or negative way, but it definitely helped you leave there on, on a high note. And it wasn't just the disease. I mean, the disease, obviously, I mean, is something incredible. But, I mean, that whole second set, the flow was impeccable, I thought. I agree with yeah. you, Kevin. Uh, it, it just moved so... I mean, and I felt like the whole run, like, there really wasn't a lot of Trey recording. Like, he was, well, was letting cool. people flow, and I feel you especially saw that on you know the fourth night the second side of the fourth night like you felt that it was just they were in an intimate place they were in a comfortable place they were on the same level and they were just letting it go and letting the music take that does that make sense totally. letting it just just go where it's yeah. supposed to go without pushing it i think you're telling the segues the segues were effortless a lot of them were seamless yeah. you know absolutely I mean? great mm-hmm. segs 
Um, no, I would say, I would say. What I, would you say? I would have to say that the <laughs> Sally Sand Hood Susie kind of makes you forget about that. The the last four songs of the the third second set, Sally Sand Hood and Susie, kind of makes you forget about that New Year's Eve bug number line horse silent in the morning. That was probably the biggest buzzkill I could think of on a New Year's Eve in as long as I can remember. Oh yeah, that third set is definitely uh yeah. But hey, <laughs> but the second set, I mean, made up yeah. for it for me. Yeah, yeah that's fish. Does that have something to do with the fact that it was the first night of the run and they probably weren't together too many times, you know, before that to practice? I, I, I don't know if they practice or if they don't, but um, that's what I, that's what kind of what we talked about earlier. Maybe maybe them playing New Year's Eve the first night of the four night run, you're gonna get a set that's kind of like, you know, Trey, Trey playing playing the slow songs he wants to play because he's old and emotional. Yeah, we're, and I guess that's a that's was a that question. A dad, was that a dad rock comment? <laughs> but that's a question I have. Did they get better over the four nights? Do you guys think? I or don't know it? if they got better or the song selection just got better. Or for the me. crowd got better. The crowd definitely got better. The crowd got but better. there were some there were some points in every night where they hit a note that the crowd really got into it. Yeah, that's fair. You know, I think I think but I think before that axle of the first night, it was a little wishy washy in there. But to answer your question, I mean, like I said, my personal opinion is that you could put that one three up to any show of twenty fourteen. So, you know, if your question is did they get better throughout the run, I mean I, I don't think there's any doubt that they did. I'm I mean, not gonna try to be controversial here, but I was a little bit let down by the Harry Hood. Um I'm just going to say it, you know, yeah. RJ, I remember seeing you at set break and we were like so pumped for the hood, yep. but then, you know, 2014 was a great year for Harry Hood. I mean, but you know, that night, that fourth night, one, three hood just for me, didn't reach the same level as like Mansfield or MPC no, this year. It, it didn't go deep. Like, uh, yeah, like a yeah. lot of hood. It never really went anywhere for me, you know, and, and I thought it was great to go right into Susie because that just blew the roof off. But, you know, I, I, if they had kind of kicked up the intensity on that hood jam a little bit, then, yeah, number one set of the year for me. It's interesting because for me, the hood was just like it was it was the perfect standard hood that, that went where I wanted it to go, you know, in the like just the the um, contemplative, beautiful place that it goes. And that's like it's definitely my favorite song to hear. And I, I haven't listened to it yet. I can't I can't listen to it. Because hey, it, it was too, it was like too important at the time. I can't. It I can't did mess have with it. I it did to have it Trey windmills. So I mean, what can yeah. you have? Another <laughs> set. But they didn't go like they didn't. They didn't expand on the. Th- no, on they the, didn't take it deep. No. But it was straightforward, and it was it's okay. That's okay. It was exactly where it belonged, so, and it did exactly what it needed to do. So we're gonna we're gonna play two sets from this four night run. So there were. Two, four, six, nine sets total. So we're going to play our favorite collective two of the nine. But I guess before we get into the first set, what's everyone's like main takeaway or how would you describe 2014 fish in a, in a sentence or in a headline rather? That's harder. I'll tell you, uh, well, he, I would lead that into where do I see 2014 
segueing into 2015. Yeah. And I tell you, as long as I think the train's going to keep rolling, I thought 2014 was a good year. Um, and as long as Paige travels with that NORAD and full tote, um, <laughs> I think, and I, I actually thought about it today, I, I think like 2015 is going to be the Cowrad funk year. Um <laughs> Because that NORAD uh, has a You're throwing around cow funk. Oh, <laughs> I'm telling you, because it, every time he breaks out that NORAD, you got that funk, you know, kind of, you know, and he's he's doing those samples and everything. And so, yeah, I just, I'm calling it the cow rad, cow rad funk. It's coming. Nice, I like 2015. It. Nice. I like that. I think, I think the theme of 2014 was they love fucking with us. From Lushington going into ha ha ha, the Halloween gag, is this what you wanted? To that big giant Fishman blow up doll, which was absolutely nothing. I think they get off on it so much. They know that if they just played Lushington, it would have made everyone's year. They would never do it. They'll never play it again. Dude, one thing I learned learned about (laughs) fish stuff is never say never with fish. I love the theatrics. I mean, you know, you think about Tweezer Palooza. You think about the Halloween set. You think about the the New Year's gag. I mean, as restrained as it was, um, I don't know if we want to talk about that anymore. But uh, I think that definitely all four of them are just loving what they're doing. And also, I think that they're really... You know, participating and listening to the fans and, you know, kind of the dialogue uh, that's happening there. Um, But just the entire year, I mean, going back to the New Year's run last year was just stacked with really, really special moments. And I just love the theatricality of the band Lasers. (laughs) Clubfish. They're probably going to listen to this podcast. 2014 for me, I just look at the band and I look at them back in the spot where... They are so comfortable with each other, and they are finally back into that groove of really knowing each other. I think we ha- you know, we've touched on it, the, the comfort they find with each other and the intimacy that they can gain. And I think that between, like, the Gordon tour and between the Trayvon tour, I think that it really has taken them to the next level of connectedness. It's like 30 years later, and they can still blow up like you know like Patrick said like Tweezer Palooza like they can blow up Meriwether they can blow up Vegas like they can do all of these amazing things and I I just I think that I personally think 2015 is going to be a little more quiet for them I don't know I don't really see them touring as much um but I think that when they do they're really going to be able to move into the next era of what they want to make they've been making music I, I feel like this past year has been so spacey and like I wish everybody could see my hand movements when they're listening to this podcast but for me 2014 for fish was about intimacy with each other and also like Patrick said listening to the fans and like Greg said fucking with us they lo- obviously love to fuck with us but 2014 for me for Fish was about intimacy amongst the band and knowing each other again, like they, they had. They've been fucking with us forever, forever. though. Ever. And you know what? I hope you're not right about the uh, not touring as much because they don't tour that much anymore now as it is. 
I just, there's something, I look at them as, and they're now all, like, family men, and, like, even though Trey's girls are older, like, the other three have younger kids, and I don't know, I, I, something, I just feel like maybe they're gonna kind of ease out of it for a little bit, I don't know, that's just, that's just how I look at it, though. I need to start taking up residencies somewhere. Do it right. Seriously. That would be awesome. Someone like someone was saying how awesome it would be if they did uh, like a month residency at the cap, like Phil did. Like that would be sick. But would they actually do that, or would they actually go the route of a residency? What about a month at Dick's? That'd be fine, right? Hey, yeah, I, I could spend a month in Colorado. Can you guys even hear though, me now? Am I back? Yeah, oh, you're yes, back. You're back. Hey, even It'll though work. I, I did hear, I did hear though that Trey. And this is total rumor, but I heard that Trey might uh, might play with uh, with the Dead in Chicago, August twenty third, twenty fourth, something. Which I think obviously would play in Crazy. the Dicks, which is totally I think, weird. But I think that's the same that that's the same weekend as the Watkins Glen rumor. Where did that start, by the way? When did that pop up? I don't know. Today? Oh, it's unreliable. Yesterday. People. Oh yeah, it's all rumors. All right. it's okay. Now that we've got into the rumors section of the show, that means we're going to start talking about fish music now. Um, all right, so we're now we're going to play the two sets that we agreed were kind of the highlights. We're going to first play the first set, which is the second set from twelve thirty one fourteen, and then we're going to chat about it. So everyone enjoy, and uh, we'll see you back here in a minute.
What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. You have been selected as the first astronaut to explore the planet Mars. The countdown is progressing, and your spaceship is about to blast off on its voyage of discovery.
All right, so that was set two from New Year's Eve 14. Um, the set opened with Birds of a Feather, and then we heard Ghost into Theme, um, a beautiful segue into Cities, and then into Chalk Dust Torture, and then the set closed with Martian Monster, which um, was just an outstanding set. Obviously, the highlight of that night, maybe one of the highlights of the tour or the run. So... Um, Let's start with anybody have any any notable points about the birds of a feather. I'll tell you right now that I I, 
I'm a big fan of, of the song. I like it um, ever since the Island Tour. Yeah, the only notes I had on it was predictable and ordinary. So, yeah, nice. and yeah. I, all I said was it was basically the launching point to the next forty-four minutes of dance-fueled rage. It's about to happen. <laughs> nice. All I wrote was it was fine. <laughs> it was fine. <laughs> it was fine. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So let's then move to to the ghost. Um, obviously. Uh, I'm guessing all of us like Ghost, but this one was particularly good. It's, you know, not super long, but um, uh, Patrick, tell us what you think. Well, Ghost is is just my MVP. I mean, I absolutely love it. We had some killer versions in 2014. And, you know, when I'm at a fish show, I dance really, really hard. You know, so I do remember the moment when the Ghost Jam started really kicking in. And then that transition, that major key, I think about 10 minutes in, where I just like, okay, pause for a second. I'm in Miami, it's New Year's Eve, they're playing Ghost, and they're about to give me exactly what I want. Uh, and they did. I mean, uh, you know, and then the transitions, the segues, amazing, um, but just related to the Ghost itself, um, I thought it was gorgeous. I thought it was absolutely gorgeous, you know, and uh, I thought it was interesting, of course, as we know, they transitioned back into you know, the main riff, but they weren't done yet. Yeah. They weren't done yet. You know, they wanted to push it a little bit further, you know, get a little bit bluesy with it. And, you know, yeah, you love, love Ghost. MVP I thought the Ghost, the, Ghost, the Ghost Prize was notable for sure, especially uh, there was a jam after it, like a little bit of a, you know, a second jam in there. Um, yeah, I said, I said, uh, when, uh, I, I got right here at the 445 mark when Trey started channeling his inner Santana. And then uh, at the 520 mark, crowd went nuts, and then the train started rolling, and then everybody was bouncing in that room. They started that slow build. There was a semi-peak, disintegration, regroup, and then the Mike laser bombs, which segged back into that ghost that you're talking to about, Patrick. Um, yeah, and then you kind of thought it was, like, going to wind down, and then they kind of went into that that another jam, you know, that bluesy, uh, I thought it was, I thought it was a plus. I couldn't agree with you more. I think that it was definitely the first real funky jam of the night, which was a rough 80 minutes prior to that. And the, the, the main note I have there is if you really listen to it a couple times, it's the first time on a soundboard recording, you can hear the crowd roar and really get into a jam that they're doing. The crowd was really feeling it for the ghost. Jam. And that was at the 520 mark. I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah. I marked no, it today. No, no, that, that's the note that I have. Yeah, dude. I, I mean, crowd erupted. I, I have 516, but, you know, you're a little old. Maybe yeah, sorry. I am old. <laughs> <laughs> I just, it, it was really the first, like Greg said, it was the first, like, time, the first moment in the night that they really clicked together. Like, I wrote down that they play out, like, a bluesy, like, it was such a sexy, like, variation on the theme and, like, just clicked into it. And I also, like, Kevin, I wrote down, like, 520, they're just, they blast off into this, like, blissfully happy floating jam. And, like, I'm not a musician. I know it's, it's some key change thing, but it's just this, like, <laughs> like this, like, epic bliss. Yes. Like, I remember just, uh, I, was, I was enjoying myself that evening on many levels, um, but it, it really 
they just tore something out of it. And then around, like, 12 minutes, like, Fishman really starts to pick it up. And he really starts to, like, push the jam forward. And it just then creeps back. And, like, I just loved everything they did it they did with it. And then after, like, the main theme kicks back in, like, what did I write? Uh, but Trey Solo keeps it somewhere in bluesy outer space. I mean... 14 nice. minutes onwards is just insanity. Like, they're locked in. They're interconnected. Like, you just want to keep pushing forward with them. And then, like, the segue into theme, like, damn, boys. Fly. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's It's one of those jams you kind of don't want to end, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, for sure. Um, and then, you know, something that I think um, – most of the people I know chase is the cities. I mean, sorry, it's a theme um, because for me, you know, starting in 95, uh, starting to see him in 95 theme was a, a pretty common tune, I guess, back then. Um, but it kind of tapered off and then picked back up maybe in, in uh, 2.0 a little bit. Uh, and now when you hear it, it's a second set vehicle, right? And it, it wasn't that when I first started listening to it. And now I just really enjoy it that big change it's taken so um greg why don't you tell us a little bit about your thoughts on the theme you know it starts out a little conservatively for me always and i'm never sure if i'm gonna love it but th i thought this one was great i thought around the seven and a half minute mark it really got funky you know a little lull after ghost for the intro but it definitely got to the peak that we all wanted it to be at unfortunately there were a couple of woos in there and then i love the woos uh, I, I found it very interesting that the couple times the crowd really wooed this whole tour, Paige followed up with They Attack every time. I think that's them more trying to tell us stuff again in the theme and in the week of Pog. It, was, it, almost seemed like, it almost seemed like it was planned out for them. Trey, when the crowd woos, you're going to go into the birds. They, but, they all seemed on the same page. talked about it. it. Yeah, I, yep. I think it was planned. They did it the whole the whole run. Every time it's the crowd wooed, and don't, the nice don't thing let about them that, woo anymore. That theme though is, I mean, you know, I mean, that was a straight up type two. Mike took that thing, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know what mark, but I mean, it and it went straight type two, and that's one of those. It's like sign me up, and then it had, yeah, it had the birds theme. They attacked. It was it was right up around the seven seven minute and twenty second mark. I have like eight different notes that all have that same time written on it. <laughs> I do too. I, uh, I must have heard it every time. Random pieces of paper. Nice. Dude, I, I have paper everywhere over here, just so you know. <laughs> I, I have notes on every <laughs> I have notes on everything. Dude, you're you guys... you're you're so organized. <laughs> Wait, did, did you see that I wasn't wearing pants there? <laughs> <laughs> So the cities, and, and I think we talked about it a little bit earlier, but the cities was a, just that that seamless transition that was dude like, the seg of the run hands it down and listen to that crowd it was mm -hmm. awesome. It yeah. reminded me of the Jones Beach Tweezer cities, like at the like that um, the transition into it. Like if you go back and you listen to the Jones Beach show. They kind of set it up the same way because, like, what did I write down? Like, around 11.40, like, Fishman starts setting up for cities. And, like, then Trey starts setting it up. And they they all kind of start putting down the groundwork for it. And, like, the Jones Beach 13 show, like, it was really similar from 
that transition point. But like yeah. that theme yeah. was just I, I have no words. Nice. Which and is then surprising. back to the cities, <laughs> I still think that that was the best cities since probably Berkeley 2010. Just my I, opinion. It was um I, I agree, Kevin. In, ter- in terms of the energy, I mean, I think when you go back and re-listen to the cities, I really zero in on the vocal. I mean, Trey's vocal, you can really tell that he's happy, he's having fun, he's feeling the vibe, he's definitely feeding off of that. And, uh, it, it, you know, just again, that, that three-song punch, I mean... Wow. It was awesome. It was incredible. Awesome. It really was. And even the rise of the energy in the crowd, like by cities, like I was up in the 300s with like my sister and our friend Eric, and we were like hugging each other and screaming along. And it was just throughout that set, like everybody just kept building with them. And it, I, I don't know, I think the room was magical that night. Through that set, the room was just pure magic. It really I really think a sweet spot. I think during the theme city segue, people in my section and the 105's mic side were definitely high fiving each other and giving out hugs. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it, it, it was almost it was almost like we won the game finally. Yeah. <laughs> yep, totally. The thing is, the thing that's so great about that, like Jones Beach 13 that you mentioned, Allie, and it, that was awesome. And then at the beginning of Cities in that show, Fishman started playing the drums for the wedge, and then they eventually went into the wedge, and it was like. This this show like that set this set like that set had no there was no interruption in the flow the entire time, which Definitely. is same with the next one we'll talk about right there was like basically no there was no slow songs there were no downshifts it was just like nope. continue to segue and maybe even not stop playing at all which is really interesting I guess not surprising that that's what we focus on as fans but it kind of goes with this that. RJ, I think you're getting at like one of my main points that I'm a little apprehensive to talk about is that like the composed songs are just kind of like they're just kind of there for me now. I just want to hear them jam, and we just please if you could just like play a whole set of like no composed songs, and we could just take us places, and you guys can take a break, like have a sip of water or whatever if you want. But you know, if you could do like 70 minutes of just jamming, that's fine. I think you know, and then we can skip like. We can skip the train songs, and we can skip the birds of a feather. Talk about the Martian monster. No, but I think you're, but Brad, but you're right though that like it's interesting and where we are as fans now. We're all we consider ourselves to be enlightened fish fans that appreciate the whole. I am. That's for sure. The whole package of (laughs) fish, the the effort they put into the new songs, the old songs, everything. But the the two sets that we choose are the ones that have the most free flowing, connecting, you know, improv, which is. Which is totally legit, but it's just it's interesting that I, I've talked a lot about how I love like first sets, and I'm like so happy mm-hmm. with first sets. But I didn't choose either for any of the first sets no. as my favorites for this. You know, I don't know. I no. think that I think that we've all evolved past the 2012. Let's see if we could play 300 songs in the summer, as many songs as possible. Evolution. To, uh, we're yeah. all okay. Back to 2.0, five song second sets. 18, 20 minutes of just jamming and rocking out. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, back back to you, RJ, you know, uh, the chalk dust you mentioned, I thought it was end of set. And then we mm-hmm. go into that Martian monster. Mm-hmm. And that's my, you know, I think uh, Ali said club fish, but I'll add, <laughs> I'll add the club cow rad. Uh, mm-hmm. Club cow rad fish is the way I see that tune. That tune... Nice. 
is funky and i mean that whole place it was like a big dance party up in there it really was it was awesome you could hear it you could hear when they started i mean yeah. it, it was like the slow build of just a roar to a you know slow build to a roar of yep. excitement yep the, the the slow build during the recording the recorded intro to martian monster everyone was ready to jump out of their skin Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And if that's any indication of 2015, I'm down. Yeah. So do you guys think it is going to be part of 2015? Oh, no question. Definitely. No doubt about it. After the cr- uh, after the crowd response, there's uh, no turning back now. Yeah. I don't think. I mean, it's out there. It's we I mean, it's it. it's coming. And that NORAD is co- it'll be on tour this summer. I mean, it's coming. The, the smile on Trini's face every time he randomly yelled Bay Attack into the microphone was priceless. He mm-hmm. loved it. He yeah, had so yeah. much fun with it. I think yeah, like, and, that, uh, and that's what they needed. They needed some, you know, new blood, new life. And, I mean, that's exactly what this Halloween stuff has given them. See? And so I don't think there's any question that we see some of that, uh, you know, we see some of that in 2015. And I think that, like, Chilling Thrilling is just so what Fish is about. They're storytellers. And, like, if you really listen listen to Martian Monster, like, you can, you know, putting yourself in the story of you're an astronaut and you're going to Mars, like, if you listen to the way that they wrote the song, it's like, you can hear when you land and you can hear, like, the conversation between you and the Martians. And it's their ability to, like, really tell this story without any words, without these silly little, like, with just these silly little clips and, like, build and expand on it. And I think that they would be very silly if they did not incorporate it and really, especially with Martian Monster, like, moving into the rotation because they can go places with that. It's, it, I, I thought it was brilliant. I think it's a given. I think it's interesting that that was the one standalone and the others they kind of brought in 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 at the end of or in the middle of jams and segues. So maybe these songs need to be brought like by themselves and given the space to they didn't seem to work as like a jam exit or entry. You know, they were like this one was the one that was that maybe is the model for the future, which is like play it on its own and see where it goes. that's yeah. a good call. The dogs. Also, your pet cat too. Like your pet cat could have been like an awesome. Like talk about club fish or whatever. Like, oh, I missed your pet cat. I wanted you know? it so bad. Yeah. Me too. Although I heard them playing all those songs in the entire weekend, but I think I, it was just me. Yeah, it's <laughs> I was like, oh, they're playing. <laughs> they're playing Chinese water torture right now, and whoever was next to me was like, no. <laughs> I, I, I really wanted the limb by limb the first night to go into Chinese water torture I felt it coming yeah. and it didn't I thought it would have been a very natural beautiful segue it really would have hey thanks for listening to part one of episode 49 you can download part two now
Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal, the man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media podcast network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there.